For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's not always easy to have faith, but Abraham makes it look easy. When the New Testament writers need an example of faith in action, they pull from Abraham's life to teach us what trusting in God is all about. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Faith of Abraham. Well, if you've been with us these last weeks, you know very well the theme of the book of Hebrews, a pastor No doubt is writing to his Christian friends. He really loves these people, but they're ready to all but call it quits. Um, They're very discouraged, and um, they are looking for a way out. And so uh, he wants to keep them from a spiritual shipwreck, from renouncing Christ. And he says, hey, the answer is one simple word, faith and more of it. And so he just spent 10 Full chapters listing all the reasons why having Jesus is superior to anything in the rear view mirror. All right. And, and in their case, that would be Judaism because they are Hebrews, thus the, the title of the book, Hebrews. They're Hebrew Christians. And, and, and you know, he said, for starters, Jesus is God. Now, where do you go from there? You know, if if the Jesus you're serving. And worshiping is actually God Almighty. You know, you need to stay with that um, conviction and also that relationship. Uh, He's been telling them, you know, through Jesus, God and sinner are reconciled. Through Jesus, you've got 24-7 access to the throne of God's grace to go anytime to get help and mercy and grace in your time of trouble. Through Jesus, you have the assurance of sins forgiven and eternal life. You know, like when Jesus in John chapter 6, he had a big crowd there, and he started talking about some difficult things to understand, and half the crowd took off, and he turned to Peter, and he said, hey, Peter, what about you? You going to take off too? And Peter said, are you kidding? Where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I mean, where would you go after seeing a guy, you know, talk to a hurricane and it obey him or walk on the water or open the eyes of someone born blind? Where do you go from that? That's, that's been 10 chapters of that, right? And some pretty serious warnings, too, about renouncing uh, your faith. But now he's taking a whole chapter to say, okay, listen, I've said that faith is the answer. Now let's look at the definition of faith and let's look at about 20 lives from the Hebrew scriptures, Hebrew forefathers. These people are Jews. So he, he calls into the courtroom. He says, hey, let's just take a look at all of these Jewish lives from our Hebrew scriptures, how faith brought them through a lot harder times than you guys are having now in the Roman Empire. And so that's where we are. We're parked there. Uh, He says, you're going to need the faith, faith like your forefather, Abraham. All right? Verse 8. We'll read the passage together. By faith, 
when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, by faith, even though he was past age, Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, as, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who talk that way, they show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left behind, they, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though, even though, there's always an even though, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so trying to figure out how to divide up the whole chapter of uh, Hebrews for teaching, and it makes sense this section is nice and uh, consolidated under the title of the life and faith of Abraham. And Abraham was called the friend of God because of this uh, kind of faith. And so we're going to just park here and just kind of look at the insights that we can glean from this passage. Now, um, first of all, I mean, we have a working definition of faith. You know, it's not that cross your fingers and I hope that something that I can't see really is there kind of thing. It's this warrior kind of thing. It's this courageous confidence and assurance. Listen, to take God at his word, even though, you, you feel, feel free to fill in your own blank there. Confident assurance to take God at his word, even though, and direct our lives accordingly. And as we obey, we see evidence of the things that are unseen. You know, and so that's kind of what's going on. And now he's going to take, he's already started. He's got taken three examples from pre-flood days. And now he's going to go on to about 18 other examples. But of all the examples in, in Hebrews chapter 11 of faith, Abraham gets the most ink. Now, uh, he gets 11 full verses for his life. And you hear, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, wow, this, he's the poster child for faith in the entire Bible. God really found a heart that would trust God 
even though, <laughs> just fill in the blank, and there's a lot of even those that he just trusted God. He, he believed so strongly that when God told him to do something or not do something, he just didn't do it or he did it. It was so simple. Now, you know, he's the, he's the poster child for faith for a good reason. I mean, you know, he has, uh, the Lord said, all you need is a little pinch of faith to do great things, just a mustard seed. Well, this guy's got a whole granary full of faith. So we, we want to park here and, and kind of figure out, wow, what is going on with this guy? Um, because we want to be as productive as uh, he is. Now, in these three verses, I see three important insights here. Uh, number one, biblical faith results in obedience. Number two, biblical faith inspires heavenly, uh, heavenly perspective. And number three, biblical faith enables the miraculous life from the dead. So let's start with the Bible's definition of faith is that it goes hand in hand with something called obedience, all right? So slide eight, we'll just kind of isolate, verse eight, I should say. Uh, so by trusting God, by, by that kind of faith with God, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place that he would later receive, he obeys and goes even though he didn't have all the directions, didn't know where he was going. So the point here is that true faith will evidence itself in your life in a response that you can see, you know? And so James will use uh, Abraham's life to talk to his mis conceived friends uh, who have a misconception, I should say, about faith, he's going to say, listen, you guys, James chapter two, you guys talk a lot about your faith, but let me show you my faith by how I live. Now, it's not about what you can say. It's not about your bumper stickers or your t-shirts or all your claims. Uh, the proof that you really do believe in God in a saving way is that there's evidence in how you live, there's obedience. Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. So if you're not keeping Jesus' commandments, you can't say you love him. And in fact, in 1 John, I believe, uh, it says, you know, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands, but whoever says I know him but does not uh, do what he says, that person, that person does not have the truth. The truth is not in that person. So there always has to be, you know, I believe in God and therefore I do or I don't. So we can see it, you know, and that's what James is saying. In fact, James will use Abraham and say, hey, listen, you guys, faith without a response that we can see is dead. Now, there's a huge difference between saying, I believe there is a God and I believe in God. But the world mostly says, yeah, I believe in God. But what they mean, they mean is I believe there exists a God. That doesn't save anybody. James, again, will say, oh, you believe in God? Very good. You believe God's word is true? Very good. So does the devil. That's exactly what he says to them in James chapter 2. The only real way that anybody knows really for sure, whether or not you have the faith that saves you is by how you live your life. 
And in this case, how you get up and go or get up and leave. That's evidenced there in his life. So he had this uh, life change, big time, cutting ties, heading in a new direction. And here's how the call came to him as recorded in Genesis 12. I have it for you. The Lord said to Abram at that time, his name was Abram. He's going to get a name change later to Abraham. Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land. I'll show you. (laughs) I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Because God Almighty, by the Holy Spirit, will overshadow one of Abraham's granddaughters named Mary. And she will become pregnant with the God-man, Jesus Christ. That is why Abraham, through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. But it's going to start with a boy a boy that you're unable to have. But watch this, you know, so he goes on. Uh, So so he says, I want you to leave. So Abraham left. Oh, so Abraham, you're making us all look bad. You know, he he just does whatever God says. Abraham, get up and go. He goes, okay, what? It's so easy. (laughs) So Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. That was a lot of trouble. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for for Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, she gets a name change, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Let me show you a map. It's just not the best map in the world, but, you know, you'll get the idea. This is where he's from, Ur, all right? Ur is now Iraq, South Eastern Iraq, all right? And so he goes from Ur with the family, and they go up. But he he told them to leave his father's family. They're idolaters. It's the land of the Chaldeans, which is before the Babylonians. It's the same. This is Mesopotamia, this circle. It's called the the Fertile Crescent. It's where the um, Garden of Eden, supposedly, because of the rivers you can find the place there. And so uh, for some reason, he's arching over. They stop here, and when his father dies, this is 600 miles, they continue down to a land called Canaan. Now there's going to be a famine. He's going to go to Egypt, which the map shows, which didn't work very well for him. Uh, But he does come down to the land which was previously called Canaan. That was another 400 miles. And so... You know, if you want to see modern day what it looks like, I, I like to do that. I'm a maps guy. I really like maps. Okay, he's, he's from here. And he's going to arch up to Haran. It's right on the border. It's technically modern day Turkey, but not by much. And then they come down the 400 miles to uh, Canaan, which is Israel. All right, and so quite a journey, and that's how it all started. And so... We're taking a look at that. Uh, Now, you know what's interesting, and thank you for that map. Uh, Faith goes, 
when commanded, but faith also leaves. You can't go without leaving something. And so I think that's the situation here. You know, and uh, his father's family, they were idol worshipers. In fact, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, it tells us plainly that they worshiped idols. They worshiped the moon god. Uh, Abraham and his father's family did. But he said, Abraham, I've got a new life, a new promise, a new land, a new relationship, a new mind, a new place for you. But it won't happen unless you turn your back on the old. You must turn your back on the old to go to the place of God's promise. So you see that there was a little bit of a struggle there, too. That whole Haran thing, you know. Uh, it's hard. Anything that gets in the way of you and eternal life is a bad thing, whether that thing in its in itself is good or bad, right? I mean, Jesus said, you can't love your mom or dad or your kids more than me, or you're not worthy of me. Yeah, you know, we have uh, somebody, I know a dear friend, who, who, who she said, I can't become a Christian. I believe in God. I can't. My parents and my father will come. He'll go into a rage. She became a Christian. She got baptized. And he, she came home and he smashed the furniture to pieces. This little frail 20-year-old girl. He, he, he broke up the entire house. Jesus said, listen, you can't let dad You can't let mom, you can't let a baby, you can't let a job, you can't let a sin that you love. You have to, Abraham, I know you love your dad. And I know you guys have been worshiping the moon god for ages. And I know you you, you don't even know where you're going. But I can't get you to the new place unless you turn from the old ways, you see. And so Abraham was, was all into that. God said, up and at him, and chop, chop, let's go, man. And, and, and he did, he did. Uh, now, at time to follow the Lord, and, and faith, faith obeys even though, and there's always the even though, here's the even though. And he doesn't ask questions. You know, it would be a joy to give Abraham a command. I mean, think about it. You just tell Abraham to do something. He doesn't want to know the explanation. He doesn't want to print out from MapQuest. You know, he's like, okay, you said go, get up, turn my back. The, the, the donkeys are loaded. Let's go. Which way? You know, and the Lord somehow directs him. Why? Because God likes to direct a moving object rather than a stationary one. He likes it when, when, when he sees us take a step. You know, in Joshua chapter 3, uh, they're coming into the promised land for the very first time. The Lord is speaking. The Lord says to the priests who are out front with the Ark of the Covenant, he says, tell the priests, even though the Jordan's at flood stage, even though, it's always an even though, <laughs> even though I want you to go in the river, I want you to take a step in. And when they do that, the waters will part. Now, Thankfully, I was not out front because I would have said, oy vey, listen, 
What do you mean? You're God. You know, give me a sign. You know, part the water. Let me see that dry dry ground right there welcoming me. And I'll do what you say. You know, just part it a little bit. Just give me some sort of sign, you know. The Lord says, no. You show me you trust me. Put your foot in the water. And as you put your foot in the water, then you'll get the grace You'll get the direction, you get the provision, you'll get the whatever fill in your blank that you're worried about not getting or getting because you actually stepped out in faith. That's how he is. That's how he said. And and you know how how nice to have an Abraham instead of some other possibilities. Like uh, I'm just thinking of our cat, Sammy. <laughs> He likes to cuddle when he feels like it. <laughs> but, you know, and somebody will come over and say, hey, is that your cat? Yeah, come on over here, Sammy. Sammy looks at me and goes, you kidding me? I'm a cat. I do whatever I want, you know? I'm not in the mood to come over there and be cuddled. Bye. You know, and walks away. You know, how nice to have a, a dog like our former dog, Rosie. Oh, half border collar, half lab, all genius. All right. <laughs> She spoke English. I could tell her garage upstairs. Oh, she could. She was so great. You just say, Rosie, sit, stay. And, and, and the kids would tease her and then put food in front of her. She'd never violate a command. I said, sit, stay, boom. And the kids would be going, look at this, Rosie. <laughs> you know, Rosie's like looking at me. You know, oh, how nice. How nice. What joy we could bring our father if we had the faith and the obedience of Abraham. Amen. He just gets told and he goes, he goes. All right, let's move on. Now, I've pulled the passage apart thematically because he's jumping around, but this is all related. So I pulled it out that way so we could talk about it that way. By faith, he makes his home in the promised land like a stranger living in tents. His kids did the same thing. For he's looking forward to the city with foundations, God's place. Uh, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't even receive the promise. They had 400 years. 400 years they have to wait. Well, they didn't survive that way, but they died uh, looking ahead for the promised land. But the writer's saying they had another promised land in mind, and they saw that from the distance. So they, they had no problem saying, hey, look, even though we're in the promised land, we're strangers. We're strangers. People will say such things, you know, they, they, they have proof by the way they're talking and living that they're really not about here, they're about there. So God's not ashamed to say, hey, they belong to me. So if you're taking notes, the first one was biblical faith results in obedience, even if or even though. And number two, biblical faith inspires a heavenly perspective, a perspective that says this world is not my home. Now, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, they wrote a song. I have it here for you. Most people don't know this, all right? Um, And uh, here it goes. It's called, this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. 
and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're in the promised land. They're in the promised land. They're not impressed with the dirt, with the flowing uh, milk and honey. It's like, you know what we're impressed with? Beyond, yes, we're glad we're in Israel. Yes, Israel's important. Yes, through Israel, the Messiah will come into the world. Yes, we're glad for God's physical manifestation of his promise on this earth, but we're living in tents here. We've got our eyes above. We're looking not at a land of flown with milk and honey. You can have that. I'm looking for a land flowing with crystal seas and golden roads and, and a city that shines like a gemstone that comes out of heaven like a bride coming forth for her bridegroom. Read Revelations, <laughs> Revelation 20 and 21 describes this city that they're enthralled. They're not obsessed. They're in the promised land and they're like, okay, we're here. We're looking for a city that has our God there. That's where our hearts are. This isn't it. There's more than that. One writer said this, faith directs our attention above, which determines how we behave below. I love that. It's so, so important. And so heavenly perspective that this is not our home really causes us to cut ties with the world. This is not our home. This is not where I get my morals from. Here's what happened. When Christ comes into anybody's life, they're born from above. They're born again. The Holy Spirit from heaven, who is the third person of the Godhead, comes inside of us and gives us new life. That new life is from heaven. And the outworking of that new life must be consistent with the standards and the views and the rules of that citizenship of heaven. Because that's where it comes from. It's not from this earth. And that's the problem here. That's the problem is, is that there's a tension. There's a, a clashing of cultures when you are living as a foreigner in a place where you don't really fit. That's what they're saying. They're saying, hey, we're just passing through. And all of the conflicts that's generated is generated because they're, they're not from here. <laughs> they have another place. Their father's from another country. And they're like their father and they act like their father and they speak like their father and they think like their father and they live like their father. And it rubs the earth dwellers the wrong way always been that way and it always will be that way and there's nothing you can do about it they say hey we are looking for that well-established city that God designed Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you that we could be together there in that place it says here in your text it has eternal foundations tents don't have foundations it's, this isn't our home we're looking for a home where the front porch and the lights on and, and dad is there. He says, come in. I've got supper on the table. Talks about that in heaven. This isn't the place. 
It's not the time or the place for material gain per se or personal achievements or self-centered ambitions. By the way, they were wealthy and hard workers. But their, their hearts and their minds were like Jesus said, don't let it be about here. Even if God blesses you with wealth, let your treasures be in heaven and there's where your heart is. You see, he put it to you this way and to me. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus, the son of God speaking. Where valuables and money are so vulnerable to loss and temporary at best. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where they are immune from loss and eternal in value. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, tie your, your life to the things above because they don't come unraveled up there. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit comes into you. You get dual citizenship. You have two passports now. One with a, a passport of heaven and one of, the, of a green card. You're an alien. You're a resident. You're allowed to live here just barely as long as you mind your P's and Q's. And, and the tension for all of us is how do I walk as a dual citizen on an unbelieving earth that's hostile to the king of the country that I'm from and I'm going? <laughs> how do I do that? By faith. By faith. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to cut to the punchline. I don't care where it shows up in my sermon. <laughs> Though I am interested. <laughs> I'd rather please the king of heaven and get in trouble with the kings down here. If it puts a smile on God's face and everybody in the whole world is mad at me, that's okay with me. Because in the long run, that's eternal. He's the source of all life. I got to please him, right? And that's home. That's who we are. Now, there's always going to be cultural clashes as an alien. You know, he calls, they call themselves alien, not, you know, E.T., phone home alien, <laughs> a foreigner. There's always going to be clashes, right? I was an alien, a foreigner, right, for a while in Japan, as most of you know, for four years. There were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of friction, and I wasn't even trying I was just, I was just, <laughs> that wasn't that funny. <laughs> a lot of problems. I was just being me. I was just being me from where I'm, I'm from, right? And so, for example, you know, wear direct. Don't beat around the bush. That's a plus for Americans. Oh, it's not there in Japan. It's direct. Always go around. Never this. You answer the phone this way. Reinman, das This is Mr. Reinman, however. So I asked them, well, what's up with the however part? You know, and they say, oh, it softens it. We put however on the end, or we put but on the other end. For example, past the show you, the soy sauce, das however. It just softens it. I was like, what, what do you mean? I'm not giving them options. I want the soy sauce. <laughs> You know, but, uh, but my argument was, okay, why am I saying this is Mr. Reinman? However, maybe it's not, you know, <laughs> what? <laughs> they, they said, it's the same with your preaching. 
You've got to add that to omoyimasu on the end of your sentences. Or no Japanese is going to listen to you. I, I, do you know what that to omoyimasu means? I think. <laughs> They say, we know you mean it. But you have to say that to omoyimasu. Because it, it just softens it. And it's just, you can't just say, there's only one God. Well, there is. <laughs> it helps their mindset. See, so you're in all kinds of trouble. I was in all kinds of trouble. I walk in a house with my shoes on. You know, <laughs> you know, they don't do that there. Okay, well, listen, the earth has their rules. We have our rules. And you know what? When there's this, I'm going to give way to him. And that might make you mad. But, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, this is what puts the strange in stranger. In fact, the Japanese have a saying for, for foreigners, they're called gaijin, but the saying is, it, it's sort of pejorative term, but they use it and joke about it now. Henna gaijin, strange outside person. Okay, so for example, I put you know, soy sauce on my rice once, and, and my host, she goes, ah, You're such a strange foreigner. It's so unsophisticated to put soy sauce on your rice, you know? Uh, you know, uh, it makes us strange. Now, what did Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 4 to his convert pagans who came to Christ and now walking in light instead of darkness? He said, your friends... Think you're strange that you don't want to dive into all of their wild living with them anymore. So they heap abuse on you. That strangeness is more serious than a violation of dietary do's and don'ts, spiritually speaking. Because when you start doing things like, <laughs> folks, honestly, to be young, to be unmarried, And to be a virgin here in this country, that's strange. You will be shamed, mocked, ridiculed, marginalized. If you're the guy who says, hey, you know, getting drunk, doing things that might get me into trouble, you know,、uh, things that I won't remember the next morning, you know, making me sick, it's just not appealing to me. Fuck <laughs> this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you don't want to party? <laughs> oh, come on. Right? So, there's a lot of strange things that, if we're not careful, they're intimidation of us, they're shaming of us, they're marginalizing, they're intimidation. We want you to accept these rules about the sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of gender roles or. or, or How we do business. Or else. Listen, I can tell you about Jesus. I could love you. I can show you about how Jesus loves you and died to, to give you a new spirit and clear up all, any confusion on your part about anything you're having trouble with. But I can't rewrite the preamble and constitution of the country that I am from, the country of the king, the country of,、uh, of the, the constitution of the country that, to which I belong and are headed. I can't change those rules. Well, then we won't shop there. 
okay, I'm sorry. Uh, then we'll cut your head off. What, what, what am I supposed to do? Rewrite the preamble of the king's uh, constitution of his land? I'm going to say, hey, listen, they're giving me a hard time down here. I'm going to just change a little bit. I'm going to leave a part off here. There's one part here they really, really hate. And by the way, it's going to get me thrown in jail. So I'm going to just change it out. I don't think so. <laughs> come, come listen to Daniel, not this week, but the next week, about the three nice Jewish boys. They're, they're, they're foreigners in Babylon, right? And so the king builds a whole 90-foot statue, golden statue of none other than himself. <laughs> and he says, anytime anybody hears a certain music, you will bow down in respect to me, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, the three Jewish boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're foreigners. They're from a different country. Two different countries. We don't do that in our country. I could get in a lot of trouble doing that. I'm not doing it. Well, call them in here. Into Nebuchadnezzar's private chamber for a private hearing, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. He says, listen, <laughs> I hear that when you guys, you foreigners who don't even live here, you have green cards. When you hear the music, you just stand there. What's your problem? Now listen, heat up the fire. Listen, I'm all good because I know it was just a mistake. <laughs> so we're going to play the tune and then you're going to bow. And if you do, oh, we're going to be friends. You can go your way. Heat it up, Potter. <laughs> but if you don't, you're going alive into those flames. And which God is going to save you from that? And then the three foreigners say, well, king, our God in heaven, in that far country where we're from, He's able to save us from those flames. But we just want you to know, even if he doesn't, we'll take the fire before bowing before you. He got so mad that he, he fanned it seven times hotter in a furious rage and threw those foreigners who wouldn't bow, who wouldn't rewrite the Constitution, who wouldn't say, okay, I'm bowing down, but just to save my life. Oh, yeah. It's not really, I'm just doing it now, but God knows my heart. Oh, no, that's not doing it. They don't bow, and they get tossed in the fire, and there's Neb. What does he say? Nebuchadnezzar, he looks, he says, what? Where? One, two, three, four. And we throw three guys in there? <laughs> What's the fourth? And the fourth one looks like the shining son of man, son of God. Hmm. I wonder who could have showed up in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the faith of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the faith of our fathers, the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, you know what? We're going to rub people the wrong way. We're going to be strange because we're strangers. That's he put us here. Uh, I've got some slides of Peter telling us all about this, then we'll move on. Peter, an apostle to Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers. Danger, stranger, right? 
since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. There's two more. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against you. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Moffat's translation, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God change how you think. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our citizenship. It's in heaven. And then God says, because they live like that down there and they take the heat from me, that's why I'm not ashamed to call them my own. I am the God of Abraham. Who are you? I'm the God of Jacob, he says. Come on. He labels his own name by connecting it to people who have faith enough to put themselves in harm's way to have allegiance with him in an uncompromised love relationship that will not bow and would rather go to the flames then do something to dishonor their king. He says, that's why God says, I'm not ashamed to call them my family. You may not get a warm welcome in this earth by living according to my constitution down here, but there's a warm welcome waiting for you in the land above where I am, where I reward those who are uncompromised with me. It's worth fighting for. It's worth living for. It's worth dying for. Okay, finally, the last part. By faith, Abraham, oh, even though he was past age, Sarah too, they, were, they became parents because they considered him faithful and made the promise. And so from this one man, even though he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars. By faith, when God tested him about that promise, he who received the promises was about to sacrifice that promise, his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, I'm going to use Isaac and the generations will come through this man. Abraham reasoned that God could, if he wanted to, raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, uh, that's exactly what happened. So faith enables the miraculous is point number three. So as we kind of bring our study to a close before we take communion together. And that's very fitting because we're going to talk about the cross. So faith opens the door for God to come in and, and, and work, you know? What did it say in chapter 1, verse 6? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that he exists, that he's there, and he rewards those who seek him. And so it opens the door for God to come in. Now, you have before you in your text uh, the gospel, it's a beautiful, just concise picture of the gospel. And it starts with the powerlessness, the helplessness of man. It starts with death and hopelessness. So, you know, 
on top of all of this, Sarah was not able to have children. You know the story. Uh, and, and on top of that, she passed into uh, the age beyond childbearing capabilities. And not only her, but Abraham also. But God promised a son even though, right? And so uh, he just believed from the very start when he said, you're going to have descendants. He believed. Now, uh, notice with me that this famous promise Abraham's faith in this particular promise, and I have the setting of it, is what brings the famous scripture, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. I think I have the whole setting. So the word came to him. This man, uh, he was complaining to the Lord. He says, look, Abraham's having a vision. And he says in the vision to the Lord, you talk a lot about giving me an inheritance, but you know who's going to be my heir? is going to be my servant. And the Lord says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up. Count all those stars if you can, because that's how many kids you're going to have eventually. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is used four times in the New Testament because it explains how he gets saved. Why this time? By faith, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham. Why this time did God say, hey, by this faith, you're saved. Credited as righteousness means the Hebrew and Greek for righteousness means to be set right with God, right? And so credited means you didn't earn it. Because you just took me at my word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because you just took me at your word, at my word, Abraham, I'm going to set you right with me. It's how we all have gotten saved. It's, how, it's whoever's in heaven had this kind of faith. And it's also linked to raising from the dead. And so it's the perfect incident to tie how to get saved and faith together. And so that's the first thing we see here with this uh, Genesis 15. So he has this vision and God tells him, you know, you're going to have a son even though you can't uh, and uh, naturally and the Lord delivers. But it's 25, 25 years waiting. Now, you want to know Abraham's quality of faith? He waited those 25 years without wavering. I don't know if I have Romans chapter uh, 4, against all hope. Let me read to you. Against all hope, Romans. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, this is part I want you to hear. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness 
for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's why it's this scenario. It's the way we get saved. We're powerless from dead, destined for eternal condemnation, and God brings the life. Now, interestingly, I got an email from somebody who doesn't go to the church who listens online. And she said, hey, I'm enjoying the studies, but you, you, you said that Abraham didn't waver in his faith. What about that whole Hagar-Ishmael thing? That, that's wavering, right? <laughs> so I, I appreciate your comments. So I had to say to her, um, first of all, whose idea was it to use Hagar? Was it Abraham's? No. Sarah said, listen, it's been how many years? Okay, listen, it's the law in the land that if things don't work between us, we, could, you can, we can use my servant girl and you can adopt the boy, right? So Abraham, I want you to go into the tent with her, sleep with her, and we'll adopt the baby. So he does. You know, Abraham's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. So he goes into the dead. Yeah. Now, she gets pregnant. Sarah realizes, whoops, this was a bad mistake. She's miserable because Hagar's showing and walking by or bumping into things, you know, going, <laughs> looking and making Sarah miserable. And Sarah does what a lot of women do. She grabbed Abraham and said, you are responsible for all my misery. (laughs) I'm just quoting the Bible. (laughs) It's all your problem. And then she says, may the Lord judge between us. Wow. Well, poor Abraham. (sighs) You know, some... Times it's difficult. Period. Moving on. <laughs> Wasn't that smart? I had wisdom. A moment of wisdom. <laughs> I caught my eye, my eyes caught my wife somewhere over there. Uh, uh, oh, but there was a happy ending, right? Oh, I love that. You know. So the year before the baby comes, you know, the the Lord is just coming around to encourage him, and He says. This time next year, you're going to need some diapers, my man. (laughs) Sarah's listening. And Sarah laughs to herself. She says, after all these years, am I really going to get the joy to have a son? And the Lord said, why is Sarah laughing? I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? And Sarah said, oh, I didn't laugh. And then he said, oh, yes, you did. It was a very interesting chapter (laughs) there. And so, what, nine months later? Yeah, who's ever heard of such a thing? And from Isaac come all the Jews. From Abraham's dead body and Sarah's dead body, because Abraham said, "Hey, I, yeah, you can, you can do whatever you want. You're, you're the Lord," and a whole nation, generations are born from that 
one promise. And then he says, listen, your heartstrings are a little tied here. You're almost worshiping this boy. I need you to do something. I need you to give him back to me. But more than that, more than resetting your affections, Abraham, I'm going to tell a story about what will happen on this very hill, the hill that I show you. Mount Moriah is the same hill where Jesus will be crucified 2,000 years after this promise. So take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him. Well, God's going to tell the Jews that's the death penalty to do something like that. So we know God's working something other than a real child sacrifice. He's painting a picture. He doesn't want the Jews in 2,000 years. They all know Abraham. They all know Genesis 22. Everybody in the world knows Genesis 22. You don't have to be a Jew to know that story. And they're going to make a connection. The only son, the Isaac who carries the wood, who lays down willingly without a word. Isaac laid down willingly. You don't have any problem out of Isaac. But God stopped him and said, thank you for your obedience. I'm going to bless that. You're going to be very glad you did that. You're going to bless the world. But it was truly a picture of what we're going to commemorate this morning through the Lord's Supper. <laughs> How he could have nailed that right on, uh, right in the same region. 2,000 years later, he's going to carry it out. The Father, so loving the world that he gives his only son. Now, I was sharing the gospel with some guy, and he got all red-faced and indignant and arrogant, and he said, what kind of father would do something like that to his own son? And I said, the kind of father who must love you as much or greater than that son in question. Why else would you do that? I, if you're going to give your very one and only son for somebody, you must really, 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 really love them as much as that son. Because if you didn't, how, why would you? <laughs> the giving of his own son should solve any self-esteem issues in the room. Because it says... This is how much I loved you. And he bore, he bore. You want to know why God did that? Why it pleased the Lord to crush him as it were, Isaiah 53? Because he'd rather take it on him than see you. He'd rather, hey, hey, strip me and shame me, but not them. Cover them. I don't want to expose their nakedness, expose mine. He was stripped, Right? Spit in my face so that that never happens to them, right? Here's my back. Because they've sinned, they're, they're guilty. They need to be punished, but I'd rather take it on my back. The heart needs to stop. That's the price. The wage of sin is death. But I got a heart. I could become one of them. And he did. The Father really, in essence, becomes one of us. He who's seen me, he's seen the Father. 
Now he has a back, he has a face, he has a body which can be shamed, which can be flogged, which could be spat upon, which could be plucked, which could be crowned. He has the body he wanted out of love so that you would be spared all of the above and all your sins put behind his back. That's what we celebrate. That's the kind of God, that's the kind of crazy, insane kind of thinking that you're not going to find in any religion. Show me, sir, you who say all religions are the same. Show me that in another religion, that the God who spoke heaven and earth into existence would then lay down and let his creation murder him and then say, whoever trusts in me, I pay for all your sins. You don't have to do anything. No ladders up. The ladder came down to rescue you. Show me that. Show me that and all religions are the same. Just show me one even similar similarity somewhere. There's no such religion like that. All your religions are ladders up. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Christianity is the ladder came down. I came down from heaven to do what you could never possibly ever do in a hundred lifetimes. For you, in love. Yes or no? Do you have the faith to believe? Because if you do, I'll set you right with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your great love. We are humbled by it. We are fascinated and intrigued and can't even wrap our minds around it. Oh, Lord. Thank you. Just doesn't do it, Lord, but a life lived as a sacrifice to you, a living sacrifice would start to say thank you. So, Father, as we start to um, celebrate, as it were, how we call the, the Lord's Supper, that, that recalls all of this to our hearts and minds, Lord, bless us and guide us along, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.